Well, I don't know. <laughs> Happened earlier today, too. Can you hear me? Everyone hear me all right? Well, I don't know how I'm supposed to follow that up, but I will try. My name is Sam Maxwell. I'm the resident to young adults here at First Baptist. I am so grateful to share a word with you this morning and a special greeting to my friends online that I normally am chatting with during this service and the earlier one. So for the message today, I'd like you to turn in your Bibles to Joshua chapter 24, and we'll be starting at verse 8. And while you do that, I want to share a brief word on behalf of both me and my wife, how much we've loved being here among you, uh, to grow and learn and live life beside you. I know we are not looking forward to the time when we will have to depart. But hopefully by now you've been able to open up your electronic or your paperback tome. So will you follow along with me starting in verse 8? I brought you to the land of the Amorites who lived east of the Jordan. They fought against you, but I gave them into your hands. I destroyed them from before you, and you took possession of their land. Now to verse 11. Then you crossed the Jordan and came to Jericho. The citizens of Jericho fought against you, as did also the Amorites, Perizzites, Canaanites, Hittites, Girgashites, Hivites, and Jebusites, but I gave them into your hands. Now to 13. So I gave you a land on which you did not toil and cities you did not build, and you live in them and eat from the vineyards and olive groves that you did not plant. Now fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness. Throw away the gods your ancestors worshiped beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt and serve the Lord. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve whether the gods your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites in the land you are now living. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. Thanks be to God. So as we get started today, I just wanted to ask you a question. Have you, have you had the talk? Now, a couple weeks ago, I was thinking about it, and I was thinking, you know, I can't be the only one who's had the talk. I'm sure other people have had the talk. I'm sure it's a very common thing. And I realize some of you are looking puzzled because I've gotten ahead of myself. So let's take a step back. The talk I'm referring to is the one when you define your relationship, right? This may be the point, another way to put it is, this is the point where you decide that you want to go steady with someone, right? The, we want to have an intentional conversation about being more intentional toward one another. Right, this conversation may be the point where you provide the stipulations, the parameters, right, the objectives and the goals for your relationship. Hopefully by now you've already said, well, I don't want to see anyone else. I hope you're not seeing anyone else either. And hopefully you'll get to the point where you say, well, I would really like to see this move toward marriage, toward a, a culmination of this relationship, the gift at the end of the trail, right? Now, I know this, this point can be laden with anxiety for a lot of folks. The coming to this point in the conversation can be filled with anxiety, right? Either you're coming to the conversation saying, look, I really like you. I would really like our relationship to be going somewhere. Can we have the talk about where we want to go? Can we define our relationship? And for others, this point might be the point where you're like, nope, I'm ready to get out of here. This is where I draw the line. I'm done. I'll catch you later. This has been fun. Right? But this can be a very healthy point in the relationship. It's the point where you decide, let's grow together in a more intimate and special 
way. We want to grow together. We want to have goals. We want to have common language. We want to have the field drawn out, out for us so we know where and how to play the game. Now, if you don't do this, there can be some un unintended consequences, right? You can either find yourself on the receiving end of a lot of hurt, right? The other person isn't understanding the language or the rules that you're playing by, and so you feel like you've kind of been lost. Or, you know, someone else just may not want to play the game at all. And so there, there can be some anxiety and hurt that can result from not taking the intentionality to have this conversation. Now, uh, a couple weeks ago when I was on vacation, I was scrolling through my internet feed just to see what people were putting on the internet, and I saw something that was very fitting here. It was a, a woman who said that she was hanging out with her boyfriend one evening and they were watching a movie, and at some point during the movie, her boyfriend stopped, looked at her with a real puzzled look on his face and said, why don't you have a boyfriend? Naturally, perhaps it's time that they had the talk. So as we look to our text, we see Joshua, right? Joshua is now the leader of the Exodus group, right? The people were in Egypt. Moses led the people out of Egypt. Moses could not go into the promised land after the time of wandering. So Joshua was anointed to be the new leader of the Exodus group, and he led them into the land. Not only did he lead them into the land, but he led them into battle and into conflict to secure the lands that God had promised, right? They fought Jericho, walked around it, the walls came down. He also made new alliances with the people in the land, and once they were in the land, he took the charge to divide all of the, man, all of the land among the tribes and the clans and the families. So when we meet Joshua here in chapter 24, it is the end of the book, and it is also the end of Joshua's life, right? The sunset is now on Joshua's life. His time is ending. The people have begun to settle in the land, but not fully, completely in the land. And he says, before you go, before you completely become people of the land, I want you to come meet me somewhere, somewhere special. This special place was called Shechem. You've probably heard this name before, but it is very religiously significant for a lot of reasons. A lot of important people and important patriarchs of the Hebrew faith came through there. And when I did the recording this week for the pre-produced program, I wanted to do it in here, right? Because this is a place that very much think, makes you think of something religiously significant, spiritually significant, just in the grandeur and the splendor of it. And once all the people gather, he does something that's very interesting and uncharacteristic of himself. He lays down this mantle of the leader, and he picks up this prophetic tone. He steps down off his podium to come talk to the people on their level, and very much functioning as the mouthpiece of God with all of the people in this land. He says, before we go any further, before you go home, this is where the rubber meets the road. You can't go home until this is settled. It is time for you to define your relationship with God. Are you in or are you out? Will you choose God or will you choose another? In this place, you have to decide. Will you follow God or will you follow something else? You can't go home. You can't leave this until later. Now, what's really interesting to me is despite having spent two to three generations witnessing in the first person these miraculous signs and actions of God, 
not all of the Hebrew people were completely in on God, and that just seems to not make sense to me for some reason. So I got to thinking, I wonder if there was just some sort of miscommunication or misunderstanding that happened along the, t- along the way that left them in this very interesting position. And this seems very plausible because I live and embrace the misunderstandings. Now, I've been married for about a year, which I think makes me an expert on marriages. Um, and we dated for about four years before we got married. So I thought, I, you know, I've figured a lot of this out. I think I know the places where to not step and the places to step. And I know what it means when you say you're fine. Um, but I recently had a miscommunication and I'm willing to admit my fault in a majority of them. You see, as I mentioned a couple weeks ago, we took a vacation and we planned on bookending our vacation with some time off before and a time off at the end, right? The time off at the end is kind of just a smart game plan to be able to recuperate and get yourself ready, right? Sometimes you need a vacation from your vacation. And on the front end, I thought, well, this is great. I don't have to work, so I can do all the things I don't normally have time for. So I'm gonna watch all the TV shows I haven't watched. I'm gonna do all the fun activities. I'm gonna go and buy the things that I've been meaning to buy, but I haven't had time to do. I'm gonna stay up late and eat ice cream and nobody's gonna tell me to go to bed because I don't have to wake up early. Little did I know that when we planned our time off, we had, notice I I said we, I'm, I'm learning a few things about marriage. We had agreed that the time before we left was gonna be intentionally used to make our transition back home easier, right? So where I thought I was gonna have a lot of different things to do, what I found out is that there was a to-do list of cleaning and vacuuming and doing dishes and cleaning all the linens and bed sheets and taking care of the laundry that may have piled up that week and doing the dusting and just a lot of those other things. Now when I think about Joshua and his predicament and this little bit of a misunderstanding, it makes me think a lot about Mark chapter 10 and the rich young ruler. Right, there, there seemed to be a little bit of a miscommunication or a misunderstanding with the rich young ruler. Right, he came to Jesus and he said, Jesus, what do I have to do to inherit the kingdom? Naturally, Jesus says, well, give up all of your wealth and then come and follow me, right? There was a, a misunderstanding on the part of the rich young ruler that he could embrace and hold on to his wealth so tightly and still try to grab onto God with his fists clenched. Now, the Bible isn't anti-wealth, and I I want you to hear that. And the Bible is not anti-celebrating and enjoying the gifts that God has given us, right? Because those are good things, and they're meant to be enjoyed and experienced. But the Bible is clear on two other points, and these, these two are very important today. The first is that God will not be made to compete with anything else. And second, as we are created, we are made to worship and we will either worship God alone or not at all. Did you hear that? We will worship God alone or not at all. I think the Hebrews were a lot like the rich young ruler, right? They, they refused to give up the things that stood between them and God. They tried to approach God with hands that were already clenched around other things. When Joshua talks to them, much like when Jesus does, you'll notice that there isn't a middle ground he's giving you. He doesn't say, this is an open salad bar, take what you want, you can leave the salad, no one's watching you, 
right? It's you have to go all in on God or not at all. There is no middle ground. But why did so many of the Hebrews still worship other gods, right? This is, this is still perplexing to me. I don't, I don't get it. Why? And the more I thought about it and keeping with this relational metaphor, I think a lot of them just wanted to be friends with benefits. Doesn't that make sense in a little bit of a strange way? Right? The friends with benefits dynamic is where you have two people who come into some form of a relationship and they may have meant well at the beginning, but as the relationship goes on, you find one person who is giving a significant amount to the relationship and the other person who is very much content just continuing to receive. Right? They, they have no impetus or reason to give anything back. They have no reason to meet the other person at that giving level. So they just continue to receive and receive and receive. And it makes a little sense, right? Like who wouldn't want to receive food and shelter? Who wouldn't want to receive saving from suffering in Egypt? Who wouldn't want to be following a column of fire, right? Who wouldn't want all of these things? Who wouldn't want to be a part of a community that is based around God and all the benefits that come along with it? They wanted all of the benefits without having to commit to God. But I don't think we're all that different. What is it that you worship? Now, I, I don't mean, like, give me the Sunday school answer, right? Sunday school's over, we just had that. But what is the one thing that if you lost it, you would feel like the rug was being pulled out from underneath you? What one thing do you so deeply desire that if you lost it, if you could not protect it, if you could never have it, would make life feel that it just wasn't worth living, like the world was falling down around you. Is that thing Jesus? Is that thing God? Maybe put another way, think about this this way. If you could step into the space-time continuum in your DeLorean, and you could go back and you could set up your life the way that you wanted it so that you could be in the relationships with the people that you wanted, if you could have the parents that you want and the kids that you want and you could live in the place and the time that you want, if you could do anything for your life without any consequences for you or your life on this side of messing with time, you had no consequences on Judgment Day, what would you change? Would you change something about yourself? Would you change a feature, a facial feature, would, it, would you change your athletic ability? Would you change your bank account? Would you change your job or your position? What would it be? Well, whatever comes to mind might be a really good gauge of what you're after. And Tim Keller would say that your answer to any of these questions, if you're, if you're really honest with yourself at its most basic level, is probably motivated by fear. And for the rest of you who say, well, I don't have any of those things. I've been in church my whole life. I've gone to Sunday school since I was knee high to a grasshopper and I always brought my dollar bill to go into offering. I, I can memorize, I've memorized all these passages. I can tell you all of the books in the Bible in order. Well, Tim Keller has something for you too. He would say that unless your religion and your religiosity is renewed by the Holy Spirit and made alive through faith in Jesus, then your religion is also motivated by fear. Take this, for example. 
One night there was a, a man in the hospital and he received some very, very bad news, right? He found out that his imminent demise was on the way. And so he called up the hospital chaplain at three o'clock in the morning and he said, chaplain, chaplain, I just need you to get down here. I really need to talk to you about God. I just got some bad news. Can you please get here as soon as you can? So they hung up, the chaplain got himself together and he left. And when he showed up to the hospital, he found the patient and the patient looked, uh, he looked a little strange. There was, he looked a little different compared to someone you might expect to just receive really, really bad news. It wasn't that he was happy, it's just, there was a confused look on his face and he was like, well, what's going on? And he said, well, chaplain, uh, I'm, a, I'm a little embarrassed. I, you, know, you know, I called you to come down here and pretty much right after I hung up the phone, the doctors came back and realized that they had mixed up my results with someone else. So I'm gonna be fine, I'm, I'm actually okay. So I'm really sorry that you had to come all the way down here. It's like, well, okay, well, you know, patient, we can still talk about God. And he said, well, you see, chaplain, I'm, I'm not really religious. That's really not my thing. And now that I'm gonna be okay, I think we're all right. You, you, can, prob you can probably go home. Has there been a time in your life where you said, God, God, I will do anything if you do this for me? God, if you save me from this, if you make this happen, if you make this cute girl at school go on a date with me, I will do anything. If you make my bank account look this way, if you make sure that I get this job, if you make sure whatever, I will do anything that you want. I've done it. I've done it a couple of times. We make these promises repeatedly over and over and over again. And yet the one thing that God really wants us, wants from us, our trust, our faithfulness, our obedience, our love, we're never really all that interested in giving him, right? We say, God, God, save me from this terrible thing and I will read the Bible at least once a week. God, God, save me from this thing and I promise to be nicer to that real mean person that I have to work with, right? But there's no God, God, I'm ready to be yours. It is God, give me something. Right, the, the story of the guy in the hospital isn't a man who's running toward Jesus with open arms and open hands. It is a man who is running away from death, right? Death is scarier for this man than anything else. And I think there's a reason that many of us, we recognize there is a God, but surrendering to that God is terrifying and feels like the death of ourselves. Furthermore, for many of us, we will recognize that there is a God, and the natural position of the heart is to recognize that there is a God, but simply not to trust him. The man in the hospital, he didn't want God. He didn't want to surrender. He didn't want to give anything in return. He wanted God to give him what he needed at that time. He was so desperate to get away from death that he would have done anything, even make a bargain with God. Now, honestly, I wonder if the Hebrews just had such a difficult time finally embracing God as they should have in the first place because they forgot why they were following God in the first place. Now, a number of years ago, 
before I, I came into working in ministry, I worked in advertising, and that's what I did immediately after school. And every day they provided us lunch, and our in multinational group of folks would come together every day, and we'd sit, and there was this one gal, and she was super smart. She spoke English very clearly and fluently. And one day while we were having lunch, she was like, what does it mean to have a bird and a bush of birds? And we were like, what do you mean? And so she had to go, and she's like, um, a bird in your hand and then some more in the bush. And we're like, oh, oh, you mean a bird in the hand is worth two in the bush. What, what I found particularly interesting that day is that idioms don't stretch all languages, especially our idioms, right? And some languages just don't have them at all. And so we, we would take some time to explain some of, things, some of these things, and I loved those conversations. And one of the things, one of the idioms that I've particularly grown fond of is don't miss the forest for the trees, right? Don't get so focused on the tiny things that you miss the big picture. You miss the, you miss the whole of it. If only we could teach the Hebrews this idiom, I think maybe they would learn something, right? Because they were so busy enjoying the generosity of God that I think they forgot all about God, right? They were so excited about the promise of the land and all of the things that God said he would do for them, but they forgot about the promise giver. They were so excited about this land to control that would finally be theirs after living in Egypt and then living in wandering that they forgot to submit to God. But God is the goal, isn't it? Relationship with God is the goal. That's why we're all in this room, isn't it? Because at some point, each of us has had an experience that said, that's God. There is God in this doing something, and we are here because of that, right? Because God said, I will move heaven and earth so I can be with you. I will defeat death and I will open up the gates to eternity to have it with you, right? God is the goal. God is the reason we're here. Relationship with God is the goal. The promises to Abraham and Moses made in the Old Testament weren't be in relationship with me so you can have nice things. It was be in relationship with me so you can be my people and you can know me intimately and we can have a special relationship and you can be the vessel through which the entire world will be blessed. but I think they lost sight of the forest for the trees. Now, normally when we look at Joshua 24, we really focus on the end of verse 15, where Joshua says, but for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. And I know this is a fan favorite because I've seen this in tapestries and hung up in people's bathrooms more times than I'd like to admit. Yet, when I read this chapter a couple of months ago, something that struck me, struck me for the first time in a way that I hadn't quite expected. And it's at the beginning of verse 15, and he says, if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. There's no fire and brimstone. Do you notice that? There's no Joshua standing on a corner with a Bible ready to hit people over the head saying, if you don't choose God right now, you are going into a bad place for eternity. You are ready for hell for eternity. Right? He's not. I think, I think Joshua is a little bit of a pragmatist at this point, if he wasn't already for his entire life. 
I think he's recognizing and saying to them that this facade that you've built up for so long to make you look like the right kind of people, there's nothing to it. It is just that. It is a thin facade of a truth that is not a truth. He makes it pretty clear. He says, fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness. And I think that's what it looks like to throw away all your other gods and all your things that you, are, that you worship or that you're afraid to lose or afraid that you will never have. It's what carrying your cross daily looks like until you're given a crown. To recognize the glory of God, to revere him, not to fear him in the kind of way like you might in this spooktober of all months, but to fear God, to revere him, to understand the majesty of God and to give him and serve him all faithfulness. Now, it won't be easy and you won't always feel like it. I can tell you that as someone who just finished four years of seminary, right? Praying won't always be easy. Reading your Bible won't always be easy. And loving the people you know you should love definitely won't be easy. But that's what it looks like when we say, not my will, but your will be done right? Not my will, but your will be done. And when you choose to follow, when you decide to make that commitment, it will always have to be more than a feeling. And that more than a feeling is what we call love, right? Love is more than a feeling. It is more than convenience, and it is definitely incompatible with fear. A number of years ago, before I got married, I heard this story I'm about to tell you and I I adapted for just this message. And it really told me a lot about what it means to follow God and what it means to be a good husband to my wife day in and day out, even if it gets hard. So one night at dinner, this man came home to his wife and he said, wife, I want a divorce. And she asked, well, why, what's wrong? He says, nothing. He just, couldn't, he just couldn't tell her, he just didn't have it in and tell her that I just don't love you like I used to. I don't think I love you anymore, and I don't think we should be married because I don't love you anymore. The next morning, he came downstairs, and he noticed on the kitchen table a little envelope, and inside it, it was her terms for divorce. And it was simple, and it was clear, and she said, over the next 30 days, I want to live our lives as normally as we possibly can. And every day, I want you to carry me from the bedroom, down the steps, through the parlor, and to the front door. And if you do both of these things every day for the next month, then you're done, and you're free, and I will grant you this divorce that you are after. So on the first day, he did that, right? This is his easy way out. He's like, fine, I'll do what I need to. So he picked her up, and it was real uncomfortable trying to figure out just how to get her through the door and down the steps and into all the rooms. And finally, they got to the front door and he put her down and they walked off. The second day was a little bit of the same, but it became a little bit easier, right? She leaned into him as he carried her. He smelled her perfume on her blouse and he realized he hasn't looked at this woman in this way in a really long time. On the fourth day, when he lifted her up, he felt a sense of intimacy returning, and he realized just how distant they had been for so long. On the fifth and sixth day, he realized that he still did love her after all, 
the posture of his heart was beginning to change. He noticed that it became easier to carry as the months slipped by, and he held more tightly and tightly to her. And he realized he was beginning to feel the way he did on their wedding day when he carried her for the first time out of that church. Day by day, he realized that he really still was in love with her. The devotion and faithfulness he had toward love acted out began to refill his, love, his heart with that love that he thought he had missed and was gone and was never coming back. You know, I'll be the first to say that following God is really hard. We don't need anything else to make it harder for us. It's already really hard. And it can be really scary, that thing that hopefully came to your mind that you're like, that is what I'm afraid of losing. That is, afraid of, that is what I'm afraid of giving up. That is the thing I'm afraid of never being able to have. It can be really scary to give that thing up. But God has shown he's committed, hasn't he? Time and time again, the Bible and our lives are a tapestry of God's working in our lives. God has shown he's committed. Will you respond? Or are you just in it for what God can give you? Are you just in it because you're ready for what God might have for you? Why wait for an emergency room? Why wait to find out that the things of this world and the things that we put on pedestals will never ever live up to what we expect them to be, right? We, in our day and time, we're addicted to this. We find new things to put up on pedestals thinking that they'll rescue us and they'll take us from a place where we are to this new promised land. And eventually we find out that each and every one of them will never do what we want them to, right? Only God can be that thing that we're missing, that we're looking for. So here in this place, choose for yourself right now. Before you go home, why wait? Will you follow and will you worship? Decide for yourself right now, who will you worship and who will you follow? And I hope, and I hope, you'll seriously consider giving Jesus a chance. Now, if you think you might, I and a few other ministers will be standing here at the front and we'd love to talk to you about what it means to follow Jesus. Or if you think you might want to learn more about FBC or what it means to be a member here at FBC, we'd love to talk to you about that as well. Uh, Deacon will come and pray, and Esther's here on the organ.